Welcome to the Nonprofit Hub Radio Podcast, where we highlight nonprofit innovators, leaders, and influencers every week that are changing the sector for the better. I'm your host, Delaney Molinex, Executive Director of Nonprofit Hub. If you're not for profit and all for purpose, you're in the right place. You see, we know you're already doing good, but we've designed this podcast to help nonprofit professionals find growth, joy, and connection. So tune in weekly for new episodes to elevate your cause, spread the news, and share the resources we share with you. We'd like to thank DonorBox for sponsoring today's episode of the Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast. DonorBox is the online fundraising engine of choice for over 50,000 organizations in 96 countries. Their intuitive fundraising software was designed with your donors in mind. Go to DonorBox.org to sign up today. That's D-O-N-O-R-B-O-X dot O-R-G. Hello everyone, Delaney Mullinex here with Nonprofit Hub. This episode is with Peter Greer, the President and CEO of Hope International. Peter is extremely passionate about helping the nonprofit sector move from a space of competition to collaboration. And nonetheless, he is the author of the book Rooting for Rivals. Um, In this interview, we talk about the stories included in that book, um, including Ray Kroc and Robert Mondavi, two very different for-profit leaders and how their two different viewpoints of collaborating with people in their space were so different and how one was successful in using that collaboration as a tool for growth and impact. But ultimately, the whole purpose of this episode is that anyone listening can benefit from the reminder that their fellow nonprofits are their co-laborers not their rivals. Stay tuned, guys. Peter, welcome. Thanks so much. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background, and I'd love to hear more about Hope International, too. Yeah. So, um, I mean, the, the short story, I started my career working in Cambodia in internal controls and uh, fraud prevention for a microfinance institution, and then uh, moved to Rwanda to run a microfinance bank uh, called Urwego, and then spent time in Zimbabwe trying to figure out how do we do economic development in a time of hyperinflation. So really had this interest in how do we make a difference around the world? And, um, you know, I guess all of that is really downstream from growing up in a family um, where my parents uh, introduced us to the world. And um, my dad was a pastor. I had this incredible gift of just consistency, the things that he would say on a Sunday morning about loving God and loving our neighbors. That was the way that they lived their lives. And I'm so thankful for that. So that translated into my kind of career and focus on how do we do that? How do we serve? How do we love? How do we make an impact in places of poverty around the world? And then for the last 18 years after graduate school, I've been with Hope International and uh, trying to figure out how do we continue to invest in the dreams of entrepreneurs in the world's under served communities um, yeah as we live out our faith so that's the uh, that's the work that we do I have an incredible team global team that I get uh, to work alongside well you've done some amazing things across the world um, and I know when you when you expressed interest in being a guest you shared some glimpses of those memorable experiences that you've had um, maybe even outside of your time at hope International but 
Um, what are some of the memories that, that you recall that have been really impactful for you? Uh, you know, this still the highlight of my job, the highlight of my work um, is, you know, there's a lot of organizational pieces, components that are important, but I love the opportunity to travel, to spend time with the families that were served. Uh, think about times uh, being well off the beaten path in a community and yeah. uh, spending time you know, in many cultures, uh, it starts with dancing and song and trying to join in, uh, do the best of my ability, but then to hear stories of incredible life transformation and hope uh, to spend time seeing these uh, small businesses that have been able to provide for a family and to meet children that now are in school that wouldn't have been otherwise. And to see the pride of parents um, as they are full of hope, full of joy for the future, oftentimes with a backdrop of still significant challenge, but hope, progress, earned success, and just the uh, yeah, joy is the word that comes to mind. Mm -hmm. So those are a lot of the memories. I've certainly had a lot of other exciting things that have happened of planes and trains and some some uh, times being dragged by a silverback gorilla. Um, in the, yes, in the, that's something that you mentioned. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, being held at gunpoint in a dangerous situation. So yeah, you do this work, you travel, um, and you're going to have some stories to tell. So there certainly are stories to tell of some of the joys and some of the challenges of doing this work. Yeah, well, based on those stories, I'm glad you're still here with us today. <laughs> um, <laughs> and sharing a little bit more of your wisdom. It it looks like you've written or co-authored 14 books. Is that accurate? Or has that increased since? That is accurate. Yeah, okay. working on uh, number fifteen right now. So uh, it is a hobby. I love the writing process. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about this book, Rooting for Rivals, and and what stemmed that passion behind it. Yeah. So you know, it was the the craziest thing. So you know, you hear about the competition in the business world. You hear about McDonald's and Burger. You hear about all of these organizations that just are trying to get market dominance. And in some ways, you might think about the noble nonprofit. Well, those attitudes, that approach, that doesn't exist with individuals that are trying to do good around the world. And then I found something interesting that when I started in, in my work, I was working for an organization called World Relief. And the question that I got more than any other was, Peter, tell me how you're different from World Vision, as if it was uh, a competition, two individuals in the boxing rink. Tell me, make, make the argument for your organization by subtly making an argument against the other. Yeah. Yeah. And I find that even in the organization that I'm with now, it is not uncommon for people to say, tell me how you're different from other organizations in the faith-based space that are doing poverty alleviation. And I think if we're not careful, we can slip into this idea that the competition is not global poverty, but the competition are other individuals that are doing really good work. So the book Rooting for Rivals is really an exploration. How do we learn to go beyond thinking about our organization? How do we get a bigger picture? How do we, how do we see other organizations not as our competition, but as potential collaborators? Um, and is it possible that we might be able to do far more together than we do apart? So it really was an exploration of how do we grow to be more collaborative, to be more generous partners and friends as we do this important work. Yeah. And it sounds like that surprised you, these questions coming from people wanting you to, to set yourself apart in a way that might put someone else down. Um, 
why do you think that competition exists in the nonprofit sector? And are there any other ways that you've seen that? Yeah. And just to be clear, it wasn't just that I was seeing this from individuals that were asking me questions on my wall. I had a chart and it was the growth chart of Hope International compared to other organizations in our space. And, you know, we can talk about this is benchmarking. Yeah. Uh, this is important uh, market research. But what it did for me is if our growth rate was not as good and we look and see someone else, we're like, what is going on? What are we doing? How can we? And uh, if it is going well, uh, that also is dangerous. Um, pride is upstream from a whole lot of foolishness on that. And if it was better than these other organizations, it can easily get an inflated sense of self. Look at us. Uh, look what we're doing. And that is not uh, healthy or right uh, for organization or personal health as well. So either up or down, there are some dangers in that. So it wasn't just that I was sensing it from others. I was sensing it for myself. Yeah. And I think the challenge, right, is um, there is this sense of competition. And, and I think that is a good thing on the sports field. I think it can drive us to a better, a higher level of performance. But the challenge, I think, is when, especially in this work, when we start to identify other organizations as the competition, as opposed to if you're in the clean water space, the competition is that people don't have access to clean water. If you're in the poverty alleviation space, the competition is that people are still living in extreme poverty. And I think we need to shift the way that we think about us versus them uh, to a much bigger picture of us and a perhaps narrower definition of, of, of the problem that we're trying to solve. And, you know, there's been so much good writing about collective impact. There's been so much um, work that's been in the space. And hopefully our book contributes in some small way to the identification of what limits our ability to truly have an open-handed, generous posture and to take practical and meaningful steps to be more collaborative in this work and to get to a place that we really do root for our rivals. Yeah. I had a, I had an interview with, um, with a young adult who has displayed really great leadership prior to her even graduating high school. And something that she said was, it's hard for me to not see challenges and competition as a threat to my leadership or as a threat to her success. Um, and I think that kind of goes into what you were saying is when you see someone else succeeding, that doesn't threaten your success or what you have been doing. Um, and I thought that that was, that spoke, I think highly of her um, in what she was aware of timely as well. I, the interview that I had earlier this week was about board engagement and getting your board to fundraise. And something that Darian had mentioned was one of his favorite quotes is seek first to collaborate, then to lead. And that was, I mean, what a coincidence that we're having this, this conversation today as well. Great. You know, yeah. one thing on that is whenever we have a question that we're trying to research, uh, we try to find who are the exemplars, um, similar to kind of what Jim Collins does in, in his books and, and, and try to find um, exemplars and then to have a counterfactual, like what is the difference and as we went uh, through our kind of research on this project, it relates to exactly the point that you were just making uh, with the high school student that you were talking with. But we found the most generous, 
collaborative leaders are those that did not believe in a scarcity model or mentality. They believed in abundance. And if we slip into a scarcity mindset, it means any success that you have means that's less for me. Any win that you have means it's a loss for me. And it is possible to not fall into that scarcity mindset, but to actually believe, no, there's enough. (laughs) There's enough. And, And someone else's success is not a threat. That is good for the broader mission. That is good for the broader work. And to get to a spot that we really fight against the scarcity mentality and move towards a position where we really believe there is enough. Hi, this is Kevin Burgess, the editor of the Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast, and I'd like to tell you about today's sponsor, DonorBox. DonorBox has a simple mission, to do everything possible to support nonprofit organizations in their efforts to make a difference. From hitting your first campaign goal to growing into a sustainable and thriving nonprofit, DonorBox makes it easy for organizations to maximize donations and attract more supporters. From charities to social impact groups to faith-based organizations, DonorBox delivers a simple, seamless donation experience for your supporters. So visit DonorBox.org to sign up with no setup or monthly fees and no contract required. That's DonorBox.org. Now let's get back to Delaney and her conversation with today's guest, Peter Greer. Okay, so we talked a little bit about your passion behind competition in the nonprofit space and why we should start seeking collaboration instead. And in your book, Reading for Rivals, you compare two very significant for-profit leaders, one being Ray Kroc and one being Robert Mondavi. And you you pull lessons from those two people. What? Um, tell me more about, about them and what you learned. Yeah, it was fascinating to look a little bit more to realize that this issue of abundance versus scarcity mindset, that that is alive and well in the nonprofit and the for-profit sector. And it is possible to choose abundance, not scarcity, even in that context as well. So Ray Kroc uh, is uh, who we illustrate as having a scarcity uh, mindset or mentality, believing that the world was not big enough for any other franchise other than McDonald's. And he famously said, if any of my competitors are drowning, I'd stick a hose in their mouth and turn on the water because this is rat eat rat, dog eat dog. You're talking about the American way of survival of the fittest. And so his model was, I am going to destroy my competition. And if you've ever seen the movie, uh, the founder talks about his story and he literally put out of business the individuals that were the true founders of McDonald's. He couldn't stand that there would be room enough for anyone other than him. Robert Mondavi had a different approach. Um, He was not in burgers. He was in winemaking. But after he would go and learn about new techniques about winemaking, he would come back. He would open up his vineyard. He would invite others in and he would share what he learned. And the reason is because he was not just trying to put his own vineyard, Mondavi Vineyards, on the map. He was trying to put Napa Valley on the map. He had a he had a mission that went beyond just his vineyard and went to a region. And uh, the result was his collaborative, open-handed approach really did raise the level of excellence for the entire region. And in his sales manual for his sales team, it said this, the opening line, your competitor is your ally. 
they had a different model, a different approach, a collaborative approach. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, I think that is a way long-term of having a much more significant impact. Yeah. At the end of the day, you the people who you might see as your competition in the nonprofit space, you have a shared purpose. Um, and I think that's that's what Robert was seeing across other winemakers. Um, I've also heard a lot of nonprofits or communities recently trying to purchase buildings that have enough space to house several nonprofit organizations because often nonprofits in the same community don't know each other exists and they could all help the same person if they were just together in the same building, not only making that easier for the person to access, but then that collaboration within if you're all in the same building can only be beneficial, I think, for everyone involved. Um, so I've seen that in a lot of communities where they're trying to create uh, commune isn't the right word, but you know, like little just communities of nonprofits in the same building, um, which would be cool to see. And I hope that continues to grow. Yeah. And if you are looking for another example of that or someone to have on the uh, podcast next, yeah. I would strongly recommend uh, City Link Center, John Mark, and I'd be happy to make an introduction, but that's exactly what they're doing. And this hub, it's almost like built on the yeah. Michael Porter cluster theory. Let's bring them together. Um, yeah. Realize that poverty is complex. It is multidimensional. Yeah. So why not bring different organizations together to address it in a multidimensional way as well? Yeah. And where was that, you said? Uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. Oh, okay. Very good. Cause Camp is the national conference that nonprofit hosts, and we we're actually going to Ohio. And that was one of the first places that I heard the Chamber of Commerce, actually, it was one of their main priorities was to invest in a space that they could house nonprofits in their community because they saw this disconnect. And so Ohio, Ohio is on the right path, apparently. <laughs> I love hearing stories like that. And, you know, earlier this week as well, I had a conversation with a, with a funding organization, a foundation, Greenlight Foundation, and that's exactly what they are doing. They yeah. are using their funding to bring organizations together to pursue collective impact projects. So I think there's real momentum. And I don't think it's just that after we wrote the book, you're perhaps more aware. I think yeah. there really is something happening that people are recognizing. These problems are beyond the ability of any one organization to solve. So yeah. why not have a more generous collaborative approach to really attacking some of the big issues that our world is facing right now? Yeah. There's also um, Nonprofit Hub has a strong um, history with the Foundry out of Lincoln, Nebraska, and the Foundry is a co-working space. So essentially, I think what they used to serve as is, a, is an incubator. So nonprofits that didn't have the funds to invest in a building of their own right away could rent space to work out of the Foundry, but that puts you in an environment with other nonprofits so it's somewhat similar, but not necessarily the same, but still a cool concept um, for other communities or, or chambers or foundations to also think about doing. Yeah, I mean, uh, this model, it's well-established within the accelerator programs or uh, venture yeah. capital models. And it just makes sense that it would also hold true with the nonprofit space as well. Yeah. I remember reading in uh, Jared Diamond's book, Guns, Germs, and Steel, but he talks about how anytime there was a trade route, the intersection of trade routes is where innovation uh, happened faster. 
people would be bringing their ideas and where those trade routes intersected, that is where creativity was unlocked. And so I think yes. in many ways, we're missing out on the gift of that. If we're not yeah. finding those places to be in relationship with others, if we're not absolutely. trying to tackle problems together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're obviously both arguing that collaboration is good for the sector. Have, is there any specific example that you have where you've seen two organizations come together and collaborate and seen that play out? Yeah, you know, I have great respect for an organization called Water Mission. Uh, and uh, we spent time with them and they've been in the clean water space for a long time. But uh, they've launched a new initiative called the Global Water Center. And the reason why they launched it was so that they could share best practices, open source everything that they've learned, bring individuals together. And they're really extending, I mean, typically we think about strategic plans built around an organization. And they're changing the conversation. They're saying, let's build a strategy around solving the problem of lack of access to clean water for the world. That is something that they cannot do on their own. That is a goal that is too impossible for one organization, but it is not impossible. And so they're, they're creatively bringing individuals together, being incredibly generous and open-handed, open sourcing everything. And I think that's a fantastic model that I'd love to see every sector have the equivalent of that. Like, yes, we're all doing our work, but what really is the next level goal that we are that we are pursuing together? Yeah. What are some, I mean, tactical actions that the sector can take to move to a more collaborative space? You know, obviously it's a mindset first. And then we also, I mean, address some of these things like nonprofit incubator spaces or, you know, communities built, but any other insight into into how we can we can start to change that mindset for people and leaders? Yeah, and one of the key pieces too is, you know, we are all busy, and uh, if if we are not prioritizing time with other organizations, it's just not going to happen. Relationships, I think, are underappreciated uh, in their importance and uh, and benefit um, yeah. on that. So I think that's a question. How much time over the last year have you spent with your quote unquote rivals? How much time yeah. have you spent? Uh, second thing um, is uh, with language. How can we be more generous with our language? Because language matters. Um, and if we're using words that end in ER, let me tell you why we're bigger or better or faster. I think those words actually cause us to slip back into the competitive mindset uh, with other organizations that's not ultimately helpful um, in accomplishing the bigger uh, goals. Um, so language matters. Um, I think there is the, um, uh, just as I said with the water mission, um, I think for nonprofits especially, people do not donate to a nonprofit to grow an organization. They give to solve complex problems. Yeah. So if that is true, I think there is perhaps a moral argument to be made that nonprofits should open source everything, anything that would be good for others within the sector. So we've done that. If you go to hopeinternational.org slash resources, we just said, what are the manuals, the trainings? What are the, what do we have that might be helpful to the sector? And let's open source everything that we have um, on that. So lots of practical ways to take steps, but I totally agree with what you said. It really starts with that mindset. Do we have a bigger mission than just our organization? And do we believe uh, in, a, in, in a mindset of abundance or scarcity? Those questions will shape whether or not we really can take steps to be more collaborative and, and more 
just kind in our relationships with other organizations. Yeah. And I love, I mean, that's a simple step to take is, you know, start scheduling things with your rivals, getting to know them. It doesn't have to be, you know, intent. It doesn't have to be with intent even to collaborate, but just create that relationship and see where it can go. Cause you're bound to start having conversations about it. If you have a positive relationship with each other. That's right. And in those times to go in, not saying, what can I get, but what can I give? Like what actually would be helpful in this uh, time together? Yeah. 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 Um, Well, we always try to include a segment at the end of our episodes called good news for nonprofits. What is some good news that you can share with the sector? That these concepts of rooting for rivals they are, they are everywhere. And my guess is no matter what sector you are in, there is someone who is already taking steps to say, let's convene, let's gather, let's share, let's pray for each other. I think there is exciting work. So my uh, good word is like, let's join in. Let's join in. Let's not see other organizations as our competition. Let's see them as our uh, friends united in, in some good work and let's grow in relationships. It will bring more joy to you and to your organization. I love how Mark Twain talks about comparison and uh, he just talks about how it robs uh, an individual of joy. Yeah. Um, I think he's so right. Let's not rob each other of joy. Yeah. Let's experience that joy by joining in this good work together in relationship with others. I think the work will advance. I think the missions will grow and expand. And I think we will have far more joy in the process. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Peter, for being here and sharing more. If people want to find your book and read more into that, where where can they do that? Yeah, so it is wherever books are sold. Isn't that the line that we're supposed to say? But wherever books are sold. But then you can also, if you want to see kind of the full list, if you go to peterkgreer.com, that's a way you can get some additional resources um, on that or some excerpts um, as well. So uh, peterkgreer.com. And uh, I would love to know if I can help in any way. So feel free to reach out. And um, yeah, thanks so much for having me on and, and having this conversation. Really, really enjoyed it. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for joining us for this Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast episode. For more resources on fundraising, marketing, and all things nonprofit, be sure to check out the number one nonprofit toolbox at nonprofithub.org. We hope you'll join us next week for another episode of the Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast.